what you're looking for, the same thing, it's a new thing, check out this, I bring, uh-oh, the rope below the level, cause I'm living low, next to the base, come on, turn up the radio, they're claiming I'm a criminal, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Unprofessionals, PopsforSoccer.com, I guess, monthly podcast, covering soccer in the United States from a development perspective, I'm Travis Clark, and we're back here once again. Um, Will Parchman is joining me. J.R. Eskelson is on his way to an under-14 boys national team camp, so make sure you check back TopDoorSoccer.com later for interviews and other exclusive coverage of that. Will, what's going on in Seattle? Just living the dream, you know. It's a nice 60-degree uh, cloudy day, as you might expect. Oh, beautiful weather. Beautiful yeah. weather, as always. Today's podcast is going to cover a couple of topics. We're going to be looking at the under-23 men's national team roster and uh, win over Mexico. They beat Mexico 3-0 last night. Uh, I talked to Leeview Bird of SI.com about the game itself. Will and I are going to just kind of echo some thoughts on the roster, look at some of the players who, uh, was called up, who were called up for the camp. Obviously, you know the game is done and dusted. They're looking forward to another camp, but... Uh, you know, we'll we'll kind of chime in on there. And also, uh, second half of the show, just a quick look at the under-20 men's national team, who is currently in Europe. There was a roster released, uh, I believe it was last week, for a trip as they fine-tune World Cup preparations, drew Qatar 2-2. Earlier this week, we'll be woodish on that. And then we'll do whatever else comes to mind. I don't know what it'll be. Things could get crazy in here. Always, Are you ready? They always do. What What other... Things could the the Young Professionals podcast be other than crazy? It's a madhouse know, man. in here. There are no other options. There are no other options. But um, obviously for U.S. fans who are looking f- towards the 2016 Olympics, the under-23 men's national team is a topic of focus. Uh, you know, as I just said, we talked to Livy Bird about that, uh, kind of about the game itself. But before we get to that interview, Will, uh, just taking a look at this roster, is there anything that stands out to you? Anything that jumps out to you with the guys that Andy Herzog called in? Or is it just kind of your smattering of dudes who are competing for spots for next year's qualifying? Yeah, I mean, this was a pretty um, sort of a mishmash team. I mean, I think they'd only had maybe one or two practices together ever just as this group. Um, and I think... You know, you're seeing a lot of the hangover from still from the the U20 World Cup of two years ago because a lot of these guys were were at that World Cup and U.S. just, I mean, obviously they had a terrible group, but they just did not perform well. And, you know, this group in a lot of ways is trying to redeem itself um, and the the previous Olympic qualifying cycle for uh, both what happened to them at the U20 World Cup and what happened uh, in, in 2012 and uh, kind of that Olympic debacle um, the last time through. And so, I mean, this roster is okay. I mean, the midfield, there's not really, you know, it would sound like a broken record, but there's not really an attacking midfielder who's, who's particularly creative. I mean, there's a lot of... But do those players even exist? And that's the thing. Like, I, <laughs> who who are you even going to call up in that in that? Christian respect? Pulisic, maybe. Should we hype him up a little bit? Yeah, why not? I mean, if Cameron Carter-Vickers can get a U23 call up at 16 years old, Christian Pulisic should be able to get a full national team at 15. <laughs> I, that, that's, my talent, that's my talent uh, disparity there. He's, he's that good. Um, but, you know, the, it's, it's good on the, on the defensive midfielder side. I think Luis Gill 
Who knows what his position's going to be? Um, the forward line's obviously very good. Jordan Morris, um, I can see him playing in the Olympics. I don't know that um, where he'll be at that point. If he'll be, you know, a pro, I'm sure he will be. But um, you know, you've got uh, you know Mario Rodriguez, who's kind of been in and out of form. Jose Villarreal, kind of the same thing. You know, Alonzo Hernandez, who's, you know, done okay at Monterey. It's kind of a, a, a group that's okay and has the ability to play very well, but nothing really, at least on the attacking side, jumps out at you. Yeah, and obviously, you know, they beat Mexico 3 nothing, and this isn't the USA team by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, neither is the, that the case for Mexico yesterday. And, of course, you know, there's the cautionary tale of the the. 2012 preparations where the U.S. looked real good. You know, the Caleb Porter side, they beat Mexico 2-0 uh, in a tune-up. I think it was, like, around the same time, but, you know, kind of the year of the qualifying effort and uh, then ended up coming up short in the qualifying campaign. But, uh, you know, without further ado, let's take a quick break, and I'll be back with Levy Bird of SI.com to break down Wednesday night's game. Welcome back here to the Young Professionals Podcast. Joining me now for this segment is Levy Bird from SI.com, who is at last night's U.S. Under-23 Men's National Team game. Levy, first of all, let's just jump right into this. Uh, what did you think of the game last night, the U.S.'s 3-0 win over Mexico? Well, I thought Mexico really came out stronger than the U.S. did and had a, had a very good first half. There was some good combination play. Um, you know, it was it was tough for the U.S. to kind of uh, keep them at bay at times. They got a little bit strung out in their shape, and Mexico got in a couple times. I mean, in the, in, within the first minute, Cody Cropper had to make a save down to his left, and uh, it just kind of it, it kind of progressed like that um, throughout the first half. The U.S. got forward at times, but it, it was a little bit disconnected. It didn't look spectacular. Um, then at halftime. You know they they went into the locker room and and Andy Herzog after the game he said that he wasn't happy with the way that they had defended as a team in the first half he made some changes told them to to stay a little bit more connected in their their shape they were also playing the four four two the diamond midfield um, and we saw how well that worked defensively against Switzerland so it was kind of the same idea keeping their shape and then um, really breaking forward when they could and he said I told them to drop off a little bit so they would have a little bit more space to play balls in behind their back line and we, we really got to see the speed of a guy like Jordan Morris a guy like uh, Mario Rodriguez running in behind and it made a difference um, the U.S. scored three times in the second half two offset pieces but um, you know it was a much better second half performance in general from the U.S. and you know, they deserved to win on the day I thought um, but it was neither team was at full strength, and it was uh, only the U.S.'s second camp together. So um, it's a good confidence-boosting win, I think. But I, you know, let's not get too carried away with what it was. I and mean, remember, last cycle the U.S. beat Mexico uh, similarly and ended up not qualifying for the Olympics. So the the history is there as well. Right. Yeah, I was just going to mention. Would you think it's would it be apt to label the game that with the boring? soccer cliche of a tale of two halves uh i i would say so um you know it was uh it, it seemed to really swing mexico's way i think i saw a stat that they had maybe 65 percent possession in the first half something like that 
And it looked a lot closer to 50-50, maybe the U.S. edging it in the second half. Um, overall, uh, on the balance of 90 minutes, it probably evened out to about 50-50. Um, and Mexico made a, a boatload of substitutions uh, at halftime and in the second half. So uh, things obviously changed the dynamic of the game a little bit. Um, so I, I think that that would be a good way to describe it, though, for sure. Were there any any tendencies that you kind of noticed, whether it's tactically or on the field, that you know maybe somebody who isn't watching the game or who isn't watching the game live wouldn't have noticed, like you know maybe organizational components of the U.S.'s approach, anything like that kind of jump out at you from the press box? Well, the thing that, that really jumps out at me is is the fact that they're doing the same thing as a senior team or trying to, and I think it really it really um, goes back to what Jurgen Klinsmann's saying about creating this pipeline from the youngest national teams all the way through to the senior teams, and obviously the senior team has been jumping around with, with the style that it plays and, and the formation and stuff like that, so it's, it must be a little bit harder for, for the youth teams to get a grasp on what they're supposed to be doing. But, uh, you know, Andy Herzog is one of uh, Klinsman's assistants with the senior team, and he's taken over the 23s. And it, it was a very similar performance um, tactically to the way that the senior team has been playing uh, the last three games when they went back to that diamond in midfield. Um, it, other than that, I mean, it, it's hard to at times discern patterns in their attack. They're still kind of working through that. Even in training that I saw this week, they were still working through okay, when this guy gets the ball, here's how we're going to move, and here's where the next ball should go, here's what we're looking for. So they're still kind of uh, getting that uh, attacking identity uh, together as a team. But um, it, overall, I would say the thing that stood out most to me was that I thought I was watching um, a, a copy of the senior team play in a lot of ways. One name, obviously, that we've got to talk about, given, you know, given your ties to the area up in Seattle, is Jordan Morris. He scores a goal again. Um, you know, what do you make of his performance last night? And obviously it's been kind of a hectic week for him. And what do you think of make of the situation overall? You know, here's a guy, he's at Stanford. You know, the, the program has announced he's returning for the fall. And yet he gets called to the national team. So when you look at that kind of situation, there's really no incentive for him to leave school early, whether that's to go to Europe or to sign with the Sounders. You know, what do you make of, you know, first of all, his performance last night? You can touch on that a bit, but more overall, that kind of scenario he's in right now. Now, last night, he, he showed a lot of the same qualities that he showed in, in the senior game uh, a week earlier. You know, his speed and his ability on the ball to, to really take players on. And, you know, he's fast when he doesn't have the ball at his feet, but I'm, I'm always impressed with the speed at which he moves when the ball is at his feet and the way that he can run at players. And, I don't think that the U.S. really has a lot of players like that in, in the pool. So, um, you know, he can he's that type of forward who can he can play in the middle. He can range out into the channels. I'd be curious to see what he could do on the wing if he had to play out there. Um, but it's, you know, he showed a lot of those same qualities. As for his situation, you know, you're exactly right. The way I look at it is... You know, he doesn't really have a reason to leave right now. And a lot of people make a big deal about the fact that he's not playing professionally and, and he's still getting called in. What does that say about you know the state of the professional game or, or whatever? But you know, I, I think it's more, more important than playing professionally or playing in college or, or whatever. The environment has to be right for the player. And he really he seems to have found an environment at Stanford that allows him to thrive. You know, he's obviously having a good time going to college. Uh, he keeps getting opportunities at the national team level. And by all accounts, he keeps improving every time we see him at the national team level. So right now, 
I don't think there's really any reason to complain about the way that the way that his career has progressed and you know there's there's no real need for Klinsman or Herzog or anybody to to push him into something if he doesn't want to do it and honestly he's he's shown this kind of pattern throughout his life playing he when he was playing youth soccer he played with Eastside FC in uh, the Seattle area for the longest time they had a really close group together and they were winning championships and they were playing really well and the Sounders Academy kept saying, hey, come play for us, come play for us. And he said, uh, not yet, uh, not yet. And then his eight, U18 year, he decided, okay, maybe now I'll make the jump. And then obviously um, the legend of Jordan Morris starts from there. But uh, it, it's, been, it's been kind of a similar progression for him throughout his life. And, and I don't really see that changing. And even last night you know, in the mix zone, people were asking him, so you know, we've heard about this, this written offer from the Sounders. Does that change anything? And he said, no, it's still the same plan. I'm going to go back for one more year at least and then see kind of what happens. Um, and then someone asked him, you know, do, do you want to play for the Sounders and, or somewhere else? And he said, well, right now, um, if I had to make the decision right now, I'd go play for the Sounders. So um, I don't know if that means he hasn't heard anything from anybody else or if that's just what he's comfortable with. But it seems to be um, going on course for him the, the way that he wants it to. And, and you know, we can't begrudge him uh, doing things his way when it seems to be working out. I think we would all love to see Seattle fans squirm and for him to move on to go somewhere else. But, you know, obviously there's the hang-up on Jordan Morris. Uh, but I was wanted to touch on a few other players, that guys that you noticed um, on the field last night. I wrote, you wrote in your piece that only a handful of these guys are actually getting minutes on a regular basis Guys like Luis Gill, were there any other individuals who impressed you or, you know, probably in your eyes impress Andy Herzog and their chances of making this U23 roster? Well, Luis Gill has been the captain since Andy Herzog took over this team. I think his place is fairly safe, and, and I think that uh, his performance last night secured it even more. He played in the number 10 role, the point of the diamonds um, behind the two forwards, and he was really... Uh, a little bit more rangy than the rest of the midfielders. The other three, Fatai Lashe was the base of the diamond. He stayed at home on top of the center backs. And then uh, the other two uh, box-to-box guys were, were fairly uh, static right next to him, dropping in defensively to make kind of a line of three. It looked almost like a 4-3-1-2 at times. Um, but Luis Gil really had this freedom to drift side to side and to to go find the ball and to go make plays from wherever he happened to get the ball. I mean, it, uh, he he served the ball in from wide areas. He was um, you know he was trying to combine in the middle, so he really had that free role and and he he did well with it. I thought um, Cody Cropper had some shaky moments, but uh, he also made some some big time saves as well. Uh, he had most of his his poor moments were with the ball at his feet, stuff that comes with a little bit more sharpness, uh, game sharpness, and he's he's not getting game time with the first team at Southampton right now and. You can train as much as you want, but there's there's nothing that will duplicate having a forward sprint at you when you've got the ball at your feet trying to decide, do I play it short, do I play it long, what do I do with the ball? So he, in my mind, he really needs to find some place where he can play a little bit more, and, and that'll, that'll make his performances more consistent. But I, I thought overall he had a good game as well. Um, looking out at the rest of the fields, uh, Mario Rodriguez had a, a good game. He, he kind of compliments Jordan Morris nicely. He scored again, obviously, just like he did against Bosnia. Um, so I think that forward pairing is is fairly set right now. Uh, we'll see what happens when you throw a guy like Julian Green into the mix, if if you can, or or you know a guy like uh, you know anybody else like that who is maybe getting minutes elsewhere or is in the senior team picture and is age eligible. Uh, so we'll see 
uh, how those kinds of changes will affect the dynamic of the team. Yeah, you mentioned Julian Green. Uh, before you before we go here, any players that you think the U.S. was really missing last night or guys that you'd be really excited, you know, obviously the age-eligible players that weren't there that you would want to see with this group, you know, maybe a Will Trapp, DeAndre Yedlin type? Will Trapp is, is a good shout. I think he would have helped the team a bit. Um, Fatai Alash is not exactly... Uh, the, the single kind of defensive midfielder type of guy. Uh, he, he plays better when he's got a partner next to him. He's, he's a little bit more... Uh, he's not exactly the Kyle Beckerman type. He doesn't stay at home a lot. He likes to, to come out and make tackles and, and win the ball higher up the field. So I, I'm not convinced that his, uh, his abilities as that single defensive midfielder. Will Trapp is more of that guy. Um, and you know, if, if you bring in a guy like Will Trapp, you might be able to play two there, go four, three, three, or whatever. There's just a million different things you could do. Obviously, uh, John Brooks, I think, would be an interesting uh, guy to hold down the back line. Um, it could could use a little bit of stability last night, especially in the first half. And I think a guy like John Brooks, who has experience at the highest levels, uh, would really provide that leadership for uh, the team. Man, if you look down the list, there's a whole number, a whole list of guys who who could do well for this. And Julian Green is another who could. I mean, apparently he was going to play in this camp, but Hamburg didn't give the okay early yeah, enough. I read that. He was already on the plane back to Germany, so that was unfortunate. It would have been interesting to see him last night. A guy like DeAndre Yedlin uh, playing outside back or wing or wherever. Um, you know, if you need uh, a second playmaker type, you could always. Uh, you know, Emerson Heinemann's there. Um, Rubio Rubin could play forward as well. It's just there's there's so many names and so many possibilities. One thing I asked Herzog specifically about that last night actually is like how do you integrate these guys and what do you, what are you thinking of doing? And it was like well first of all we have to see if they're available because a lot of these camps seem to happen on non FIFA dates so um, it's up to the clubs whether they want to release them. And then you know beyond that if you if you change the team too often. Uh, if you change every time the, the core group of guys that you're dealing with, when you get the team together, it's only going to be more difficult to, to actually get something uh, cohesive going. So it'd be interesting to see how they decide to integrate these guys, how many of them, um, and obviously which, which guys and in which positions. And, and I mean, there's a whole host of opportunities right now. Qualifying isn't until October, so we'll, we'll see what happens between now and then. Yeah, and we can tell, obviously, the U.S. is playing, placing a very, very high priority from, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann down and up throughout the organization to make it back to the Olympics. Levy Bird, thanks for joining us here on The Unprofessionals. You can find his writing on SI.com, Paste Magazine, probably a bunch of other places, or is that just it right now? Uh, that's pretty much it right now. SI's, SI.com is, is the big one, and obviously... Um, if you if you're really that curious, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Leave You Bird, L I V I U B I R D. Thanks for joining us, and uh, once again, we'll be right back after this break. Welcome to part three of the Young Professionals here, where we're going to get into the under twenty men's national team a little bit. The, uh, they are currently over in Europe for a week-long training camp, which will actually be their final uh, get-together before uh, another camp before the Under-20 World Cup, which is in New Zealand, starting on May 30th. And if you've never been to New Zealand, quick plug, it's a fantastic country. And if you're looking for a trip to go to in a couple of months, you could always go 
and follow the U.S. national U.S. under twenties down. It's not down under because that's Australia, but it's you know down in the sub, that part of the world. I actually have close. a I have a fun story very quickly to tell you. Um, the last time when my wife and I went to Europe on a trip uh, about two years ago, uh, we were in France and we ended up doing like a bike tour of uh, Monet's Gardens just outside of Paris. And there was this group of New Zealanders on the trip. And we got to talking with, with a couple of them. And turns out one of them is a real estate agent uh, for the area where they built Hobbiton for Ooh, the Lord of the Rings. This is a good story. And so his uh, whole thing was selling that property to Peter Jackson's production company. And he gave us his card and said, if you ever come to New Zealand, call me and we'll, we'll take you out to Hobbiton and give you a tour. And so if any enterprising uh, uh, company wants to send me to New Zealand to cover this tournament, I could uh, wrap in a Hobbiton tour for you. So there's my plug. Maybe we should ask our bosses for that. Yes. Well, regardless of that, well, New Zealand is a fantastic place. The players going to represent the United States under-20 team in New Zealand in, I guess it's just a little more than a month now. We're here at the end of April. Uh, there are 20 hopefuls that Tab Ramos named to the roster that's currently over. As I mentioned earlier in the show, drew 2-2 two two on Monday against Qatar. Not the greatest result, but you know, obviously we don't really know that much about the game itself how the u.s performed and whatnot we just kind of you know make it up in our head maybe we can um do our an, an interpretive dance on how that game went or something but uh, i think the biggest news when we saw this roster come out at the end of last week was the inclusion of seattle sounders midfielder christian roldan obviously he's a name we've brought up on a number of occasions on this, pod, on this podcast maybe more than jordan morris no not more than jordan morris mm, but pretty close though yeah, it's up there. But Roldan, obviously, is someone who's impressed uh, us as a college player the past two seasons, playing for the Sounders now, and, and doing fairly well from what I've read, heard, and seen. Will, what is your reaction to his call-up, and can he lead the U.S. to a World Cup title? <laughs> yes, and yes. Uh, it, I mean, it was about time. He had only gotten one call-up before ever, which is mind-blowing. Um, so it was, I mean, he had clearly deserved it and he had deserved it before. It was just that now he's playing well on a professional stage and not for, uh, UW. So there's just more visibility there. Um, but you know, they, they need a guy like Roldan who can play a lot of different positions. He can fill in out wide. He can play kind of the, uh, the number eight. It's kind of shuttling him between the defense and, and the attack. So, um, he's a huge asset to this team, especially because, these U20s kind of do have players who are who like to kind of be a little bit higher. I mean, Romain Gall has played out left a lot um, in he did in, in Concacaf um, in the four three three, but um, he can play centrally. Uh, Junior Flores obviously is a guy that they really want to be the number ten and didn't really take take control of it in, in World Cup qualifying. But I think they're going to keep uh, jamming him in that hole to. To, to make an analogy and you know whether he's ready or not I don't know but with with Roldan behind him which he hasn't he hasn't had a player like that to pair with in the midfield I think it'll be um it'll be a different story I think he'll be uh it'll be quite a bit better I think the interesting thing about this camp given the time given you know I'm sure Ramos has his kind of idea of who his quote-unquote his guys are there probably aren't a ton of opportunities for 
players to really kind of force themselves into the roster or, you know, maybe not force themselves on the roster, but into the kind of the rotation, the group that he, that tab wants to send out there. So I think that is kind of be the, you know, kind of if you break down the rosters, who ends up, you know, maybe parlaying this trip into a spot on the team. And you got to think that Roldan's performance here is going to matter, but at the same time, you know, getting reps, getting minutes as a, you know, in his, on his pro team will be just as important. Um, you know, Ethan Sonis is another guy who I think is a relatively late comer to the party. You know, can he force his way out of the team? Is he available just because of, you know, this juncture they need maybe they're looking for kind of a last minute addition. Uh, who, who really knows, you know, you, you can't really know specifically what's going on. You know, and um, we, were, we were talking too about defender, um, Michael Amick from UCLA, who has, he's been one of Ramos's guys in the past, but he hasn't been there due to injury um, the last couple of months, and he missed CONCACAF qualifying. And, you know, in, in my opinion, Amick deserves to be, you know, who knows where his form is right now after injury, but, you know, in, in full fitness when he's 100%, Amick is, in my opinion, uh, clearly a, a starter next to Carter Vickers, just the way he's been playing. Uh, Miyazu is good, but he doesn't quite have sort of the defensive recognition abilities that Amick does. He's not he's not as good along the ground. Um, he's great aerially, but Amick's just a he's got a better brain uh, for the game. So he's another one of these guys that we haven't seen him in camp in a while. And is he one of Ramos's you know one of Ramos's guys? I think I can't imagine him not making the roster. But you know, does he start? Especially considering the fact that the U.S. I think went like four and a half games in Concacaf without surrendering a goal. So, I mean, we'll see how that goes. But I mean, who, like you said, I mean, whoever knows with some of these call-ups. Yeah, another notable name that jumps out is Jordan Allen, uh, Real Salt Lake. I guess defender slash midfielder slash forward. He's a guy who can basically yeah, what, play in- whatever his position is. Yeah, knows. you know, I think if you can read up some media on him about his abilities to sort of fit in anywhere. He's needed on the field, you know, whether that's right back, kind of a right wing, probably, you know, play narrow if you're doing a diamond or a three-man midfield, could play on the right-hand side of a, you know, three-person forward line. He's probably not going to pair up top with somebody, but, you know, he missed a large chunk of the 2014 season with RSL after, I think it was a microfracture injury, Uh, and it's good to see him back and contributing, you know, earning minutes with RSL in MLS play. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you know, Maki Tall has made a probably a, po- a positive impression. I don't think this is his first camp, but, you know, we've discussed his name on the pa- in the past. And then, of course, you know, TDS favorite child number three, Tommy Thompson, who is getting starting to finally fight his way into the lineup with the Earthquakes. And, you know, maybe Dom Kinnear is kind of holding the under-20 World Cup over Thompson in the fact that he know he's he's probably going to be missing for a few weeks of the MLS season so you know that's going to probably work against him when it comes to earning minutes on the field is that an unfair judgment to make I mean we have to make some judgment because Kinnear's decision to not start Thompson doesn't make any sense anyway so I guess you know whatever whatever we have to say to make it sound like Thompson isn't just being wantonly overlooked I'm there too but um man to start sana niasi like <laughs> like the earthquakes have well you've got a guy like thompson sitting on the bench and you know I, I heard an interesting thing that um you know dom doesn't really see thompson as a wide player 
Um, and then he inserts uh, Thompson into the Red Bulls game last week, and all of a sudden, for the last 20 minutes, uh, Earthquake's team that had been awful in the attacking half is, you know, is suddenly very dangerous. And I think Thompson had, you know, two or three near goal chances. So who knows? I mean, Thompson plays on the right, uh, or he has in the past anyway, for um, for Tab Ramos. And to say that he's not a wide player, I think, is a little short-sighted. But, you know, we'll see what happens after the World Cup. Yeah, and we'll obviously have lots of coverage on com of the run-up to the World Cup. Um, the U.S. under-20s were last over in England at the end of March. This is their final trip abroad before... I, I'm assuming they would get together a couple weeks, maybe a week before heading down to New Zealand. Uh, obviously, they're going to kick off uh, the World Cup on May 30th down under, <laughs> as I'm going to, I guess, call it. Group make of an, making enemies. I'm making enemies of my favorite people, the Southern Hemispherers. The U.S. is obviously, I believe we mentioned it, they're in a group with the host, New Zealand, Ukraine, and the first-time participants, Myanmar. And I believe, given the format of the tournament, uh, you know, we'll do a preview podcast later, but given the format of the tournament, you have to hope that the U.S. can make their way out of the group. But much more to come as the run-up to the Under-20 World Cup begins, and Will gets to stay up till 3 a.m. to watch the games because the time zones are not favorable to watching it, especially if you're like me and on the East Coast of the United States. Love it. Can't wait. But keep your eyes out for that. Uh, Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Young Professionals. Thanks to Levy Bird for coming on. As always, you can email the show, editor at topdoorsoccer.com. We're trying to figure out how to make this consistent, whether that's every month, every other week. It just kind of depends on our schedule, so forgive us for our delayed between podcasts. Obviously, it's not the main crux of our content, but uh, I do like talking into the internet, so that is a good thing to keep an eye on. You know, you can follow us on Twitter, at Top Drawer Soccer. Will, where can people follow you on Twitter? You can find me at Ted Westervelt, which I believe... I've changed to at soccer reform recently. So catch catch all, catch all of my um, my pro rel content. I'm really into that right now. So lots of retweets, lots yeah. of retweets. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on iTunes by searching either topdoorsoccer.com or the Young Professionals. Though I think you have to search in one word. I found out that because somebody had already taken the Young Professionals like with spaces on SoundCloud. Well, it's, we it's like a, it's like a band, isn't it? It's like a yeah, it's a band, and that's not us. We are not making music. We are making music with our voice, with our words, not singing. You don't want us to sing. We talk into the internet. We don't play we music talk into to you. the internet. We say sweet things. Uh, I did forget to mention that the under twenties are playing Saturday against Croatia to wrap up their trip. That's a quick note. Uh, a quick news item as well: under twenty four hopeful Ben Spencer, who probably is a long shot to make the team. Just went out on loan to Toronto FC2. That's the new segment ended. Anyways, thanks again for listening to us here. Uh, Check us out, all our content, topdoorsoccer.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy your soccer. Here's what I want you all to do for me. Caught you looking for the same thing It's a new thing, check out this I bring all the rope below the level Cause I'm living low next to the base Come on! Turn up the radio They're claiming I'm a criminal But now I wonder how Some people never know 
The enemy could be the Frank Guardian. I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist. Preach the teeth.